Brother Crossing, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's always a thrill to be here. And I love that story and uh, just how artistically beautiful it was portrayed up here because that is what we're talking about today. How do we move from building our life on the sand to building our life on the rock? How do we move from being foolish to being wise, something we all want to know? We want to teach our kids how to know. We want to model in our home. How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. Hey, I just want to say um, it's so good to be here. Uh, I'm honored to be, get to come out here uh, once a year as Shane goes to our place in Valencia, California. Anybody ever been to Magic Mountain in California? Okay, Six Flags, yep, that's where we live, uh, just kind of right off of uh, Superman Ride. Somewhere over there is where we are, and uh, we've had the pleasure of being there uh, 16 years as a church, and I have a chance to be there for, for 13 years. It's been just a wonderful experience, and I love a chance to come here because I love the crossing, and I love my partnership with your lead pastor, who uh, is just a tremendous friend of mine. He's been a mentor of mine. We grew up together, and when I say grew up together, uh, I was in junior high, he was in high school, because he's much older than I am, uh, but Shane and I come from the same church in Wichita, Kansas, and he has been a tremendous friend, mentor, uh, and pastor to me over the years, and you guys just need to know what an incredible lead pastor that you have, and I hope you appreciate him uh, when he's here, and, and uh, we can clap for him right now, too. Uh, I, I love that guy, and I could continue to go on and on, but I think that's all the good stuff he told me to say about him. So I'm done, all right? Uh, something about handsome, but I can't even get there. So I'll just say, hey, he's amazing, and I know real life is thrilled to have him, and we're thrilled uh, to be here uh, this weekend. And Shane and I grew up in Wichita, Kansas. We went to the same Bible college in Joplin, Missouri, and then he went off to St. Louis to work uh, initially, and I went to Kentucky. And I was there uh, for about nine years, and I got a chance to work with a guy that many of you know because he has spoken here several times. Mike Bro uh, was the lead pastor there while I was there. I love that guy and had a tremendous chance to work with him. And let me just say this, having lived in Kentucky, I know Vegas gets a bad rap. I know people make jokes about those who live in Vegas and all that kind of thing. Can I just tell you that there are a lot of jokes made about Kentucky as well? And there are a lot of stereotypes about people that live in Kentucky and a lot of theories and jokes and all that. Can I just tell you, having lived there for nine years, they are all true. 100% accurate from what I have seen and experienced in my time there. And every now and then, there would be something that would happen that would make me just shake my head and go, wow, Kentucky. This is amazing. And I remember the story that was told by a doctor in our church who worked in the ER and he told us a story about this guy who came into the ER late at night, and uh, he, he had, it looked like he'd been in some kind of car accident, but he had these burn marks around his neck. And he said, well, tell me what happened to you, sir. And he said, well, I don't want to get into it. He said, no, I need to know what happened so I can, you know, figure out how to diagnose you and treat you. He said, all right, all right. Me and the missus were sitting on the front porch, and we just purchased one of those shock collars for our dog. And uh, we were curious because it's, it's one of those that you put on your dog and then if the dog's acting up, you hit a remote and it shocks him, you know, to kind of uh, bring him back into, into submission a little bit. And so uh, we were curious as to what kind of range that remote had on it. So I told my wife, I'll tell you what, I'll put on the collar and I'll get into the car. I'll drive out of sight and I'll hit the horn and you hit the buzzer. To which, oddly enough, his wife said, sure. Okay, so I think she knew what was going to happen. And so sure enough, he puts on the shock collar, and he gets in the car, and he drives out of range. He hits the horn, and she hits the buzzer, at which point the shock knocks him out. 
and he loses control of the car, goes down the hill, hits a telephone pole, at which point he falls onto the horn. So she's just sitting there, keep buzzing the thing, because the horn keeps going, you know. So I'm hearing this story thinking, wow, Kentucky, you know. Unbelievable. You know, Vegas, you got nothing on that, all right. Kentucky's where all the crazy things happen. So, you know, you live that, and you kind of go, wow, that's incredible. Now, you, you hear that story, and that is a basic, you know, cause and effect kind of principle. When X, then Y, all right? That's the cause and effect theorem right there, lived out in that guy's life. And we've seen that before, right? Whether it's, you know, when you put a paper clip into a light socket, when you decide to put an ice cube on the back of your teeth, when you put on your dog's shock collar, then things are not going to go very well. We've seen that played out in our lives. Now, the truth is that even though we see these when you kind of experiences, they're not always all that bad. Sometimes it's kind of good. When you are kind to people, sometimes they return the favor. You know, when you save money, then you have more money. When you decide to maintain your car, then it lasts a little bit longer. Truth is, all of us understand these basic principles of when I do X, then I get Y. Now, here's what may be surprising for you. Did you know God does the same thing? In fact, it's all throughout the Bible when you read it. It starts off with Adam and Eve when he says, when you stay away from that tree, then things are going to go very well for you. But they don't. And sin begins to take over the world. And so God uses this guy named Noah. And he says, um, I'm going to destroy the earth. But when you build this boat that I've given you the plans for, then I will save you. And then out of the people that grow out of that, he calls this guy named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, listen, I know. I know you're an old man, your wife is an old woman, but when you trust me, then I will make you the father of many nations. And then he talks to a guy named Moses, and he says, I know you're an old shepherd, and I know you think your life is over, but when you follow my lead, then I will help you lead my people out of Egypt. And then it continues on with Jesus. When Jesus says, when you seek me, then you will find me. When you knock, the door will be opened. When you ask, I will answer. When you remain in me, then you'll begin to look like me. Time and time again, God begins to tell us, when you do X, then God will do Y. When you, then God. Now, here, here's why this is important for all of us. Because if we're not careful, we will begin to wonder, you know, what is the use of the Bible? There are some of us that think the Bible, all it is, is our get-out-of-hell-free card. You know, read enough to be able to answer the questions on the entrance exam so you can get into heaven, right? Just know enough to be able to do the right things, get baptized, secure your way out of hell. But it's so much more than that. Some of us look at the Bible like kind of ancient, illiter you know, uh, irrelevant literature, where it's just kind of this you know, ancient principle where we look at it and we treat it like we do Shakespeare. We all appreciate Hamlet, but we're not living our life by it. And it's just something we put on the shelf. But what if the Bible were so much more than that? Because it's so packed full of all these principles God wants to do in our lives. I think I first started thinking about this in these terms several years ago. I was in Dallas for this uh, pastor's convention, getting together with a bunch of guys. And this one guy starts telling a story about a woman in his church who, who had run far from God, was engaged in all kinds of uh, difficult activities, bringing about all kinds of difficult circumstances. She starts coming to church, decides to jump in both feet, gets baptized, starts following Jesus, and then he never sees her again. <laughs> 
Several months later, he sees her walk into church. He says, how's it going? She said, not very good. Apparently, she was back to her old habits and addictions and kind of dealing with her past hurts. And he said, well, why not very good? And she said, well, I've kind of got buyer's remorse. He said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, I joined the church. I gave my life to Christ, and my life isn't any better. And he said to her words, I hope she never forgets. I know I never will. And he said, listen, God has a wonderful plan for your life, but you're going to have to participate. You have to participate in what God wants to do. I think this begs the question that a lot of us ask when it comes to church and God and the Bible, and that is, you know what? Whose responsibility is it for transformation? Whose responsibility is it for your life to change? You see, for many of us, we, we kind of think that, you know what? It's God's. It's God's responsibility for my life to change. And so you decide to follow after him. You pray a prayer. And when everything doesn't work out, when your marriage doesn't get back together, when your kids don't come home, when your finances don't go even again, then suddenly you go, God, where are you? This is all your fault. For some of us, we tend to think, you know what, whose responsibility it is for my life to change? It's me. If it's up to, you know, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And so I just need to work a little harder, read a little more, study a little bit more, go to church a little bit more often, pray better prayers. It's all on me. When things begin to work, don't work out, you begin to think, what have I done? How have I failed? Or maybe you think the responsibility is all on your church. It's the crossing's fault. They need to do more for me and offer this program and this study and this event, and we need to have our pastor preach better sermons and maybe get a little taller and all these other things that are probably impossible for him to do. And you just tend to think, what about, what about you know, transformation in my life? Isn't it the crossing's fault or Shane's fault or God's fault or is it my fault? But yet the Bible seems to paint to us a different picture that it's really not about that. It's about a different word, and that word is partnership. In fact, what the Bible seems to be saying over and over again is that when it comes to salvation, it requires faith. But blessing requires obedience. See, look at how Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Look at this. To do good works. And notice how these were prepared. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, this whole when you then God is not about karma. It's not about earning God's love. It's about unconditional love, but conditional blessings. It's almost as if we're going to get to heaven. For some of us, God's going to say, yep, you did what I asked you to do. You've decided to follow Jesus. You're in. But I want to take you to a room and show you all the blessings you could have had if you partnered with me. Things I had prepared for you in advance to do and experience, but you chose just to try to do life on your own. And God will begin to walk through all the things that we could have had if we just would have partnered with him. When I went to that conference in Dallas, I got a rental car, and I don't know about you, but when I get a rental car, the first thing that I do is find a radio station. What am I going to listen to as I drive? And when you're in Newtown, you don't know the stations you're supposed to go to. I spent my entire trip there just scrolling through the dial, scan, seek, scan, seek, trying to find the right song, trying to find the right channel. Couldn't find anything that I liked. 
And then I bring the car back three or four days later, and I turn in the keys, and the guy behind the counter says, how'd you like that satellite radio? I said, come again? He said, yeah, all those cars have satellite radio and Sirius XM. Do you love that? I would have had I even known about it, you know? That would have been awesome. But I didn't even know about it. I was driving around with a blessing in the car I couldn't even access because I didn't even know about it. Now, here's what I think is so true about all of our lives. I think we're doing that. I think for many of us, we think the Bible is just kind of this, you know, get out of hell free card, or, or maybe church is just where you go when you feel really bad about yourself. But what if the Bible was filled with all of these principles and promises God wants to partner with us in our lives, and we're just missing it? Things like this. When we pray, then God will heal our land. When we honor God with our finances, then God will give us more than we can handle. When we cast our fears on him, then he relieves our anxiety. And the reason we miss out on such things is because we just choose to not participate. So I've seen this in my own life. I've walked this through, and that's what I wrote down in this book, kind of my own journey with these things. If you want to check it out, that's great. Chapter one, I've got a great story about Shane in there and just what an impact he's had on my life. But here's why I tell you all that. Because one of those principles, one of those when you then God statements is exactly what we're talking about today in this parable. In Matthew chapter 7, and if you have your Bible, you can open up there. If not, we'll throw it up on the screen. Jesus is concluding his longest recorded message that we have. It's the most amazing sermon ever spoken. And over the course of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches us such amazing principles about how to be blessed, about how to be married, about how to deal with uh, oaths and loyalty towards each other, about how to deal with grudges, about how to forgive, about whether, whether we should judge or not. Incredible things. And then at the very end of this, he tells a story. He tells one last story just to kind of pull it all together and help everybody understand what they should do with what he just said. And in that audience, it's so similar to our audience today. There's a group of people that they've grown up in church, but all they've ever known is religion and not God. Then there's a group of people who've not grown up in church, and all they want to know is God. And Jesus begins to speak these truths to these people, and then he sums it all up with one story, which gives us this classic statement of when we do X, then God does Y. Let's take a look at what he says here in this parable. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." Here's what he's saying. I just gave you all this great information. I just told you all these incredible things about how to live, but now it's up to you to put it into practice. In other words, if you don't, your life is going to be like the foolish person that builds their life on the sand. And the moment things get rough, everything is going to fall apart. But if you choose to take what I said and put it into practice, you will build an unshakable life. And when you build your life on the rock, then God gives you an unshakable life. When you build your life on the rock, then God will give you an unshakable life. Now, here's what that means for us. 
it means that you're still going to go through challenges. You're still going to go through a crisis. But when you do, you'll weather that storm because it will not crush you. It means we'll still experience seasons of confusion. Isn't that the way we feel right now in our nation with our economy and our government and the election and all these shootings that keep going on? Aren't we just confused? Aren't we overwhelmed? And he says, that's going to happen. But when you have Christ as the anchor in your life, you will weather that storm. There will be times when you feel alone. There will be times when you feel like everyone has left you, but he will never leave you. There will be times you feel like you're an orphan, but you have a heavenly father. There will be times when you feel like no one loves you, but he always does. And while the rest of the world runs to and fro from their addictions and ideas and theories and self-help, guess what? You can build your life on the rock. And when you build your life on the rock, then God will give you an unshakable life. Now, that's the dream for all of us, isn't it? Isn't that what we all want? So how do we do it? Well, it has a lot to do with a golf swing. Some of you right now are like, praise the Lord. Okay, now this is something I can do, all right? <clears throat> I don't know about the rest of it. But here's the thing I've, I've determined about the golf swing. And I've just started playing golf recently, and I know my swing isn't all that great. But apparently, there's a lot more to it than the putt-putt days, okay? I've yet to see out on a course a clown or a windmill or anything like that that I grew up playing. It's very difficult. And according to most experts, there's about 735 things you have to do just to hit the ball. But what I've determined is it really comes down to two things. You have to be able to have a backswing and a follow-through. That's it. And if you don't have one of those, the ball's not going very far. For instance, if you don't, if you don't have a, a, you know, a follow-through, all you've got is a backswing, you're never going to hit the ball. But if all you have is a follow-through but no backswing, then it's not going to go very far. Well, that's what Jesus is kind of alluding to. See, you always knew Jesus loved golf. But take, take a look at what he says here in this passage. He says, therefore, everyone who, now notice these two things, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. You want to build your house on the rock? Here's what Jesus says to do. I want you to hear my words and put it into practice. Two things. And Jesus would even sum it up better than that by saying, love God and love people. That's it. I don't know if you're clapping for what I said or because Jesus talked about golf. Whatever it is. Here, here's, here, here's what Jesus is saying. You know what? you got to have both. But here's the problem. For many of us, we only have one. You ever known somebody that all they have is the backswing? All they do is hear the Word of God? You know, they, they attend like seven different churches, and they, they're in 30 different Bible studies and listen to 10 podcasts on their way there. They know a lot about the Bible, and they're walking around with their club up in the air, you know, and they just look mean. They're just angry about everything, you know. They look like they're going to hit you with their club. They, they're just kind of judgmental. They act like, you know, they think you're going to hell, and they're kind of happy about it. You know, they're just kind of ready to go just because I love God. I don't care about people, but I love God, and I know a lot about him. And, and that's kind of how some of us are, are kind of driven. We just, we got the backswing. We got all kinds of information, and we got more books than we've ever, you know, could read about God and about following Jesus and all that. problem is we got no follow-through. Paul says, guess what? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so what, there's another side of this too, and that is there are some people that just always have just the backswing. Other people, all they have is follow through. They just love people. 
And they're nice and they're really kind, but inside they're just exhausted because they're trying to make everybody happy and they suffer from some approval addiction and, and try to please everybody. And they get all goofed up with their boundaries because they don't really have any kind of biblical background of loving God, so they just kind of love everybody, but they just kind of get their feelings run over all the time and they don't know how to have any kind of boundaries or love biblically. And here's what Jesus is saying. Guess what? It takes both. You want to build an unshakable life? Well, then you need to hear the word of God and you need to put it into practice. Because when you do both of these things, then you are suddenly building a relationship with God that will weather the storms of life. Here's the way I heard one person say, I thought this was brilliant. It says, spiritual maturity is directly related to the length of time between hearing the word of God and doing it. That's maturity. Not how much you know, but how much you know and do. So let me ask you this question. Out of all the things you have learned from this place, how many have you actually put into practice? A few weeks ago, Shane talked about that a confrontation requires a conversation. How many of you had that conversation? The biblical principles that are taught here, how long does it take for you to put them into practice? Here's what Jesus is saying. You got to hear it and you got to do it. And when you do, you build an unshakable life. I think about my own life and how much I have messed this up. I went to Bible college. I went to seminary. I worked in a church. And for the better part of my life, I walked around like this. I love God. I just didn't love people. And I've been through seasons of my life where I get all goofed up into approval addiction and wonder what everybody else thinks, trying to make everybody else happy. And I'm all about the follow-through, but that ball's not going very far because I'm not loving in the way that God wants me to love. But the moment I began to put both those things into practice, I became effective. I found peace. I found contentment. I had proper boundaries. I was able to love my family. And I figured out where my worth really came from. That's what it means to build your life on the rock. I think about this family in our church. They're in their, I think, 80s now. But years ago, they were a young family. Had about five kids at the time. He was consumed with work, became a workaholic. She was battling depression. And they were far from Christ. And then somebody invited her on a, a women's retreat. And she went. And she started going to church and drug her husband along. And they eventually became Christ followers. And soon after that, they just decided, you know, we're just not going to go to church and hear stuff and then just forget about it. We're going to do it. And so they started gathering their kids together every night, and they'd read through the book of Proverbs. And every time they got to a sentence that gave them an action statement, they would just find a way to do it. Hear the word of God, put it into practice. And over the years, they began to build an unshakable life. Yes, they had, you know, highs and lows with their finances and highs and lows with their jobs and even highs and lows with raising teenagers and even the tragedy of losing one of their children in a car accident. But their faith did not waver and they were never crushed because they were built on the rock. Now on Sundays when I look out there and I see them and their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids sitting in chairs in our auditorium, I think, unshakable life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I love that. It's just too late for me. I just started too late in this game. I don't know what to do. Let me just tell you, the way you start this is you just decide, okay, God, I'll take you up on your offer. 
I'll stop going with my ideas and I'll start going with yours. You ever been in one of those situations before where you realize that you, you, you kind of have a problem with letting go of being in control? Several months ago, we had a family in our church who's just so great and so kind. They came up to me and they said, listen, we know Easter's going to be a very, very busy weekend for you. And for pastors, Easter is really exhausting because there's like 30 services and you shake 30,000 hands and it's an exhausting kind of time. And so they said, we want to treat you to something right after Easter. I said, what's that? And they said, a trip to Disneyland. I said, that sounds so relaxing. Thank you so much. And they said, no, 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 we, we want you to get some time with your family, but this isn't going to be any trip to Disneyland. We want to treat you to the VIP tour of Disneyland. I said, what is that? And they said, you get a guide who takes you to the front of every line of every ride you want to ride. I said, tell me more. <laughs> and they said, all you do is show up there, you tell them your name, the tickets will be reserved for you, and this guy will lead you to whatever ride you want to ride, and he'll plan out your day so you get the maximum amount of entertainment in the time that you have with him. I said, that sounds great. And they said, I, but i got to warn you, it's going to ruin you on Disneyland. I said, I'm okay with that. That's fine. No problem. And so we show up there that day. The guy meets us there. He says, I'm your guide for the day. I'm basically your human fast pass. Let's go. And so we start going in. And the moment we walk in the gate, it occurs to me, this is so foreign to me because I am usually in charge at this moment. When I take my family to an amusement park, no one is allowed to touch the tickets. I hold on to everything. I don't want them to lose it. I know where we're going. I plan the day. We're going to go to this ride, then that ride, then that ride. I got my little app. I got a little fast passes. Follow me, kids. I'm in charge. And now suddenly, I'm not in charge. This guy's taking us everywhere. And I begin to question every move he makes. We go to one ride. I wouldn't go to this ride. No, I don't think this is going to be very good. We don't even like this ride. Follow me. It's going to be fine. Maybe we got to go to that ride. Not just yet. We'll get there eventually. And so, you know, it's a kind of this tug of war going on because apparently I have some, some control issues. I call it leadership, okay? <laughs> My family calls it an issue, all right? But whatever. <clears throat> I'm beginning to realize as I'm sweating, you know, thinking about this whole thing, uh, letting this guy take charge of the day. Well, about halfway through the day, I'm still kind of battling this whole thing, but I'm having a great time. About halfway through the day, tragedy hits. My wife loses her cell phone. It's lost in the park. We don't know where it is. He says, why don't you let me take care of it? I think I could probably find it for you. And I said, no, 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 buddy. I'm back in charge. And I pull out my phone because I got that whole Find My Friends app on there. And I look and I begin to see my wife's cell phone moving through the park. And I think, I got this. I'm going at it like I am Batman. Here we go. And I'm running through the park. And I'm looking for this, following this dot around. And it keeps jumping all over the place. And finally, my phone rings. I answer it. It's the guide. I said, yes. He goes, we found your phone. I said, you found the phone? He goes, yep, we found it. Custodian found it. It's now over at the city hall. You can pick it up later. Why don't you come join us on Small World? I thought, of course you found the phone because you're like omnipresent or something. I don't know how you do this. But for the rest of the day, I said, I give up. I'm not in charge. And I had the best time. Now, here's why I tell you that. Because that is the story of my life with God. God, I don't know if I can trust you. I'm not so sure. I think I've got a better way. And it only leads to that. But here's what God is challenging all of us to do. Would you hear my words? Would you put them into practice? Because when you do that, 
that I'm going to build you an unshakable life.